Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Gardeners of the Galaxy, the podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I am Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. Hopefully you were glued to NASA's video feed for the successful landing of the Perseverance rover on Mars on the 18th of February. Perseverance will be searching for signs that life existed on Mars in ancient times and collecting rock samples to be returned to Earth in a later mission. It's also carrying the Ingenuity helicopter, which will hopefully make the first powered flight on another planet. That's all to come in what will hopefully be a long and productive life for Perseverance. In the meantime, the rover is sending back stunning images of the Red Planet. NG-15 did launch as expected on the 20th of February, taking magnitude Io's leguminauts to the ISS. On the 23rd of February, NASA astronaut Kate Rubins installed the Tango Lab facility into Express Rack 6 inside the American Destiny Lab module. That included the ExoLab 8 experiment and the investigators have started receiving data and images and ground trials are getting underway around the world. last episode I talked about some of the issues around ensuring that astronauts have access to the medicines they need and some of the experiments exploring growing those drugs in space. NG-15 took some pills into space which will be placed outside the space station on the Materials International Space Station experiment, MISI, for six months. The idea is to see how the drugs are affected by exposure to microgravity and space radiation. The principal investigator behind that experiment is Professor Volker Hessel from the University of Adelaide. The pills being tested include ibuprofen and vitamin C as active ingredients, packed into commercial blister packs. Tablets also contain inactive ingredients, and in this case those are silica, magnesium silicate, talcum, and calcium phosphate, compounds found in abundance on the lunar surface. That's a step towards using local resources to manufacture pills on the moon. The Missy facility will also be home to some seed samples that launched on NG-15. 11 seed varieties will be exposed to the space environment as part of the latest Missy seed experiment. Lettuce, Scarlet Frills, Amara, Garnet Giant, Pak Choi, Radish, Mitsuna, Tomato, Cauliflower, Pepper and Arabidopsis. The experiment was designed by KSC space biology scientist Dr. Yi Zhang to investigate the effects of long-duration space radiation exposure on seed quality and storage. It will also examine whether passive sample containment vessels can provide acceptable storage conditions for seeds during exposure to the space environment. The seeds are in heat-sealed aluminium foil packets. These were placed in two different experimental sample container types, one with and one without thermal insulation material. Data loggers and thermoluminescent dosimeters in each container will document the environmental data. After six months of exposure, the seeds will be returned to Earth for evaluation of germination rates and seedling development. And Japanese astronaut Soichi Noguchi is currently growing sweet basil seeds on the International Space Station. He's kind enough to tweet a picture of their growth every day. This experiment looks at the differences in the plant's aroma that may result from microgravity-related cellular changes. The results may benefit future efforts to grow plants in space and provide new information on the formation of aroma compounds in common herbs. Soichi will be tending his basil plants for another couple of weeks. Later in the year, schoolchildren in Asia will have the opportunity to run experiments on seeds currently aboard the ISS. (laughs) 
I'm releasing this episode on International Women's Day, a global day celebrating women's social, economic, cultural and political achievements. Marked annually on the 8th of March, International Women's Day is one of the important days of the year to celebrate women's achievements, raise awareness about women's equality, lobby for accelerated gender parity and fundraise for female-focused charities. The theme for 2021 is Choose to Challenge, and so I am thrilled to be able to introduce Grace Crane as my guest for this show. Grace is currently working on her PhD at ETH Zurich in collaboration with the Melissa Project. Her research into closed-loop systems challenges our ideas about waste and our place in this vast ecosystem we call home. Hi Grace, thank you so much for joining us on Gardeners of the Galaxy to talk about your exciting work. Thank you so much for having me, I'm thrilled to talk to you today. So you do something very exciting. You're working on your doctorate at the ETH Zurich Group of Plant Nutrition, but that's in collaboration with the Melissa Project. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about the Melissa Project and what that's about, please? Yeah, of course. So the Melissa Project, um, well, Melissa stands for the Microecological Life Support System Alternative, which is quite a mouthful. That's just a really long way to say that um, the Melissa idea is really to look at life support systems from a biological perspective. So to create a bioregenerative life support system. So instead of using physiochemical approaches, using these biological approaches, But what also makes Melissa unique is this focus on circularity. So trying to reuse any wastes that are coming into the system. So if that's human waste, such as human excreta or kitchen waste or food residues, CO2. So using a series of biological technologies to convert and transform all those wastes for um, oxygen, food and water. It's amazing. So plants must be a really big part of this. Huge. (laughs) Huge part of this. Because, <laughs> I mean, they are on Earth. People don't realize exactly how much, how much the plants on Earth are, are doing our life support system for us. Oh, totally. And that's really where the Melissa took its inspiration is just thinking of, okay, Earth, this is an amazing biosphere, amazing ecosystem that does all of these processes on its own. So how can we emulate those processes into an artificial environment that can support human life and, yeah, really kind of create this symbiosis that we already have with plants, but in an artificial way. Okay. So, I mean, Melissa is a huge, huge undertaking. And, I mean, it's already been going for, what is it, like 28 years? (laughs) Something like that. Yeah, since 87, yeah. And it's, um, out of necessity, it's broken down into smaller chunks, manageable chunks. So what exactly is it that you are working on? So I work on what we call compartment 4B, which is the higher plant compartment. (laughs) So there's five compartments and um, several of them are broken down into then subsystems. Um, But I focus on what, yeah, what we call the higher plant compartment, which is fed with waste products from these um, previous compartments. So I work on understanding how plants grow from human urine derived waste products or from other human excreta derived waste products. So that's my main focus is really just trying to understand the plant physiology, how the, what the plant is doing um, in particular um, in these nutrient solutions that come from these products. Okay. So there's going to be some people that are going to be going, ew. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. I get that a lot because it's, it's, there's still quite a taboo around using human excreta for food production. Yeah. But what's 
amazing is that I work very closely then with the people that work on these waste treatment technologies. And there's an there's amazing people and amazing technologies happening on Earth that are can be applicable for space applications and vice versa. And what I try to tell people is that these technologies ensure safety of these products, ensure that the pathogens are gone, that they're hygienic. So hopefully we'll start to shift the mindset of people when it comes to using uh, human wastes. But um, that's still a, a big progress. issue to work with. <laughs> yeah, it's a work in progress for sure. So in your experiments, are you actually working with um, treated human waste or are you using synthetic waste? Because I know some people use sort of synthetic pretend human waste. <laughs> yes. So I, I use real human urine. Um, so, But I use a what we call a partially nitrified human urine. So again, it goes through this process that's, um, that ensures the hygiene and safety of the product. And I partner with a um, a spin-off company here in Zurich that's also affiliated with with Eteha, um, with the university. And so, yeah, I use real urine, which is which is fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, why, from your perspective, why is it important that we learn to grow plants in space, and specifically? that we do so using what we would call a closed loop system where the waste products become inputs right at the beginning again. The first thing that comes to mind, I mean, the, another reason behind the Melissa idea and creating a circular system is this idea of having an autonomous system. So an autonomous system on the on a Martian base, uh, for example, needs to be self-sufficient, obviously, but also it reduces the need for resupply missions and also that's a problem with Mars, um, with the distance and the time uh, needed for those resupplies and the costs. So that's kind of like the, I would say, the, that basis. But then on another side, creating circular systems brings us back to this idea of, again, how the Earth works and how we are connected to these. See, so like we're all interconnected in these systems yeah. that if we can take these what we what we've considered now as humans waste products. But if we actually look at them. They're amazing reservoirs of nutrients that plants need. And so then, again, if we can just capture those nutrients that are necessary, then we can give them back to the plants. And then the plants then provide us with the essential nutrients that we need. So it's already inherently built into our biology here on Earth that we have these circular systems. So then taking this, again, into an artificial system off-world, I mean, to me, this makes so much sense. And from that perspective, just... Okay, yeah, we're supposed to be in connection with with these processes, and it also creates opportunities for people here on Earth. I think for me, one of the interesting things about spaceflight is the way that it really focuses our minds on on the efficiency of the process and the way that we use resources and using as few as possible, but also on not polluting our environment in we're thinking on that on a very small scale, but actually does that sort of, you know, broaden our mindset to say, what are we doing to the planet? Um, you know, if we can totally do this in a spaceflight environment, can we do it on earth and, and why haven't we been? So I think that's fact. one of the ways we bring that home is really interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> so your experiment, I think involves soybeans. Is that right? Yes, it does. Um, yeah. Do you have you grown them through their their whole life cycle? Have you had lots and lots of soybeans? <laughs> I, I actually haven't grown them all the way to their edible biomass part. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking at um, uh, the 
initiation, I guess, the vege- the vegetative growth and up to this first flowering stage. So soybean goes through several stages of life until it reaches the until it reaches the edible pod um, that then we consume or we can process. Um, so I'm really trying to understand, okay, what happens in this initiation phase? What happens when um, the plant is, you know, using and taking up nutrients for, for vegetative, for uh, vegetative biomass and above ground biomass. And already to that point, we can get some indication of one, how well the plant is responding to these certain nutrient solutions that we're creating from these urine products. And, and that can give us indications then of how the plant um, might, how the edible parts may be doing uh further down the road, but that would definitely be the next step (laughs) is to grow all the way out to, you know, edible parts so that we can, you know, fully get a, get a picture of, can we meet the full needs of the plant that then meet the full needs of an astronaut, the nutritional needs um, of an astronaut by using these these nutrient solutions created from these human products, human waste products. I was going to ask if you'd been able to eat any of the soybeans, but since you didn't, <laughs> you haven't got that far yet. <laughs> no, I have thought about eating the vegetative parts because they actually can be edible yeah. if you ferment them, um, which has also been a, a thought of, you know, alternative ways to use particular plants, especially in space applications is something I'm also interested yeah. in personally. And, um, which also would help reduce excess vegetation that's um, traditionally not edible that would then have to be processed again. So if we can start thinking of other ways to reuse, because the whole idea is to reuse, recover, and um, um, put it back through the system. Yeah, I think in Biosphere 2, they had some goats to do that part of the job for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Too bad we can't we can't process um, we can't break down silos so well. <laughs> it's a shame we can't take goats into space and like microgravity goats. Right. <laughs> okay, that's just getting silly. Right. <laughs> okay, so I mean we've talked a little bit about how people on Earth could benefit from this research. Are we seeing any concrete benefits from Melissa as a whole at the moment? Do you know? So yeah, so Melissa has a few a few spinoff initiatives that are directly related to, um, you know, increasing and utilizing circularity on earth. So one is called IP star. And then now it's, it's called Samia. And this is based, I believe in the Netherlands and also in, in Belgium, Belgium. And what this is, is uh, a direct application of circular circularity and the idea of circular economy. So they, they look at um, uh, using wastes to make tea, for example, or they've worked with um, also, I think, a beer company in, in the Netherlands called Trappist that, you know, uses Melissa technologies at their brewery. And in addition, addition to that, there's researchers also in Belgium that look at the growth of spirulina, which is now called limnospira. Okay. Um, and they look at the product. I know that's like, it's, it's, a, it's an edible algae. <laughs> it's an edible or an edible cyanobacteria, excuse me, it's cyanobacteria. And it's edible and high in protein. And so, and this is a, a cyanobacteria that's been involved in the Melissa system since its inception. And what these researchers do is they um, have created programs 
in, in Congo for teaching, teaching locals and learning from locals about the production of, of spirulina that can then be introduced into their diet since it's a high protein source and things like this. So these are some direct applications of Melissa technology. And then, you know, as mentioned, these waste treatment technologies such as, you know, nitrification or anaerobic digestion are not just Melissa technologies. These are technologies that have been utilized um, and waste and waste treatment for for a long time, and so now there's just kind of this exchange of of information and knowledge between Earth and space based programs. Yeah, I mean, my um, my food waste here is collected to go off for anaerobic digestion, and you get occasional emails oh, cool. saying something like, you know, your food waste bucket this this week generated two light bulbs worth of electricity or something like that, which I think that is so fun. <laughs> So, yeah, that's really cool. So I think if we could have more things like that, then people would would see the benefits of doing some of these environmental things that, you know, they're always told are completely pointless. Totally. Um, And that's something that I always, you know, I get that question a lot. Um, It's like, why do you do space research when we have all these issues on Earth or something? It's really something that's close to me that the research that we do within Melissa and what I personally am able to do and honestly what space programs have been doing from the beginning, you know, it's not just to reach life on another, on another planet or something is that these technologies are directly transferable to, to earth applications, you know, direct environmental applications for Melissa, but like other applications like the ballpoint pen. I mean, that one's, you know, very well known for many people, but we wouldn't have that unless we had a space program. So I think that we have to have mutual respect and that there's, there's these things that are happening that, you know, that aid space, but also have a direct relation to benefiting life on earth. It's almost as if we're sort of high tech hippies. We've got this like. <laughs> taken this respect for the earth and respect for people um and then just like blasted it into the 21st century and go yeah well we're gonna totally we're gonna have that in space it's gonna be perfect yeah (laughs) okay so i think that's pretty much all of the questions that i had except the last one of course the most important question (laughs) for you personally if you had the opportunity to go into space and i'm going to say on an extended mission um, so maybe okay. to the moon or Mars and you could only take one plant with you. This is not including your research. You can take your research. You can take your autonomous life support system. That's fine. You personally, if you had a pet plant, what would you choose to take and why? So I've been thinking about this a lot <laughs> and it's really hard to choose one it plant is. because, <laughs> you know, as, as plant lovers or plant scientists or really just anyone, you know, plants are part of our life and, but I am, I have a strong affinity to wildflowers and roadside weeds. <laughs> so I would probably, <laughs> I would probably choose like a chicory, ah. um, because there's also a lot of, um, benefits from chicory. Yeah. I mean, there's, you can use it as a food. Um, you can make soap from it. There's lots of these different things you can do with chicory and it's beautiful. beautiful. And I, so I would choose that. I would, I'd be like, we need some wildflowers yeah. um, on this landscape. <laughs> also, I imagine that's pretty robust and would take to space flight quite well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh? Resiliency. They have their strong, strong plants. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a good one. I like that. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, actually, um, I was thinking, like, you know, what would survive really well on Mars? And, you know, do you start off on planting Mars with weeds? Mm-hmm. Things like dandelions, as you say, chicory, in a similar yeah. sort of vein. Do you start with yeah. what would be the pioneer plants here on Earth? 
I would say, yeah. But then would you just have Mars disappearing under like, you know, a whole weight of blackberries is what we'd get here. It's just, That's like, true. <laughs> <laughs> it's thicket of thorny things. Um, yeah, but it would be fascinating if it, they were able to grow so well yeah. within, like if you were just able to, to add them to the regolith there and you'd get some type of hardy plant, you know, maybe obviously creating some type of structure over it, but yeah be quite impressive I think, but, impre- I think there is a plant out yeah. there that would do it we just need to find it i think so we just have to figure it out we just have to bring every single seed <laughs> that we have yeah. <laughs> that'd be fabulous yeah so yeah i think that would be a hugely great experiment just have like a, but they would take up a lot of space wouldn't it definitely <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you so much for coming on talking about your work it's been absolutely fascinating huge fun <laughs> well this was extremely fun was. i am you. really it was i'm so i feel so honored to be on your show like i feel really like this really cool <laughs> that is just so <laughs> really <kind>. excited thank, <laughs> thank you so much Brilliant. all right bye, bye. That's it for this episode. You'll find the show notes on my website, theunconventionalgardener.com, which is also home to a virtual tip jar for those of you who would like to support the show. If you want to become a regular supporter, you can sign up via patreon.com forward slash gardeners of the galaxy to access extended episodes and bonus content. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Orbital Gardens. Gardeners of the Galaxy has its own Facebook page. And if you enjoy chatting about space plants, you can join in the discussions on my Discord server, which is called The Space Greenhouse. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming termination of your signal. Unfortunately, we have also lost your movie requests, so we have picked you The Martian and Frozen. Uplink commencing now. Mission Control out.